0: Welcome to OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. Tonight we begin commemorating Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, observed on the 27th day of Nisan, the anniversary of the uprising of the Warsaw Ghetto. Jews around the world remember and commemorate the murder of 6 million Jews during the Holocaust. There are, thank God, still many ways to remember, commemorate, relive. I highly recommend joining us tomorrow for a program with Rabbi Yisrael Lau, the former Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel, who's also the youngest survivor of the Buchenwald concentration camp. He's going to be speaking for us tomorrow, live, 11.50 a.m., 10 minutes before noon, together.ou.org. If you just navigate to together.ou.org, you'll find that program as well as Uh, all the things that we're doing throughout the week for the general public. I'd like to introduce my guest at this time, Dr. Shai Pilnick. Dr. Pilnick is the founding director of the Neil and Jenny Fish Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies at Yeshiva University. Prior to that, for the past five years, he's been the executive director of the Nathan and Esther Peltz Holocaust Education Resource Center. Shai, how are you? By Paulo, David, how are you doing, Dr. Pilnik, uh, <laughs> Such a such a pleasure. Hopefully, uh, under under different circumstances, um, I want to I want to start out. Um, you're really a Baldavar, You're really a um, an expert in this field. I really I, a question that I had, and I think a lot of other people have also, which is what exactly is a sensor for Holocaust and genocide studies. Uh, It's not, we're not talking about a museum, we're not talking about a professorship. What what does it mean for university to start a
1: center? What it means for university to start a center at the very core is to be able to train the next generation of educators and leaders in the field, both professional and lay leaders. This means that the Fish Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies which um, is, uh, was facilitated through a gift of Emil, Emil Fish and uh, Jenny Fish, may she rest in peace, um, uh, intends to offer a master's degree and a certificate for teachers that would train the next generation of educators and leaders in the field. So. You're not. We're talking
0: about a series of courses and and building a, f- a full package for
1: Holocaust studies. At its very core, so the core would be um, programs that would award um, um, degrees in the field. But beyond that, the center will uh, do its best to reach beyond the ivory tower uh, to the greater community with teacher work, teacher training workshops with webinars, um, with public programs. Public programs can be lectures. They can be live interviews with Holocaust survivors. They can be exhibits, uh, theater plays. Um, The goal would be to make sure uh, that uh, the Holocaust, which I see as a complicated topic, uh, difficult, tragic, painful to grapple both uh, on the cognitive and the emotive level on both of them uh, to make sure that um, the the, the public uh, with particular emphasis on young people would be um, sufficiently educated about the subject.
0: So that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. Um, It's been over 70 years since the the Holocaust. American Jews have invested uh, a legion amount of effort and money into Holocaust studies and have built Holocaust museums. I, you'll tell me in exactly how many states in the United States of America. And um, I grew up next to one of the, the big ones, the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Has Holocaust studies been successful? Meaning, what was the, what was the goal? Was, if it was to avert another, more genocides, we haven't done that. If it was to avert anti-Semitism, at least in this country or really in any other country, we haven't done that either. What were we striving for? Was it successful? And what does it look like it, looking to
1: the future? Great question. The, the it's a really morning hard morning. question. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dump it on I, you. Uh, we've been awfully... No, that's great. We've been awfully successful and awfully unsuccessful. I and mean, it really depends on the objectives that we set for ourselves. First of all, Holocaust education centers, I would say, and it's very core on, um, on character education. We also have to uh, uh, point out that Holocaust education is both for Jews and for non-Jews. Um, Jews, I believe, do have a different obligation to remember the history of their people. But um, I, as a grandson of survivors, for so first of all, um, an introductory editorial comment about myself. My Holocaust education was not a standard one. Maybe it was standard in some circles in Israel. Uh, I always say that my Holocaust education began when I was five years old, when I learned um, that uh, my grandfather lost all of his siblings during the Holocaust that my grandmother um, was taken from my parents. And a few uh, weeks later, a few months later, they were actually taken to a pit, to a ravine, and they were shot. They were machine gunned by the Nazis and their collaborators. Um, the subjects always, always intrigued me. Um, and um, I think that m- myself, not in an unusual way, came to the topic through a very personal connection. Sometimes when I actually work with um, with non-Jews, and you would think that they are just history buffs who come to study the topic, you you find out that they also have a personal connection. Uh, all too often, it may be um, a grandfather who liberated one of the camps or took part in World War II. Um, I think that if you dig, you know, deep down, you will always find a, a personal connection because Holocaust education is about developing, cultivating the, the, the character. So I first of all define it as an area within the realms of character education. Um, at the end of the day, Holocaust education prompts us through um, a study of a chapter in history, a historical chapter, to understand human nature and to be able to make better moral decisions. Now, Holocaust education, its purpose is not only to make us be better people, but at, at its very, very core, I would say that the maxim of all Holocaust museum and Holocaust institutions is never again. It's the idea that if you go through the, pro- the educational process, you become more committed to making sure that this is not going to happen ever to the Jewish people, you will not uh, be either a victim, God forbid, the perpetrator or a bystander to such a calamity. And on top of that, I would say by extension, this is not going to happen ever to any group of human beings. So of course, Holocaust education has many different flavors and contexts, and uh, you know, as, as we say she taught or she But uh, um, at the very core, it's about moving you. By um, through the educational process to be a better person. Um, So when you ask me about success, yes or no, I would say that in character education, what we do is first of all maintenance. And we don't have a control group that we can look at and say, hey, look at these children and these students. They never learned anything about the Holocaust. And look, they are about to commit, God forbid, the, 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 the next genocide or the next Holocaust. So when we do maintenance, in education, we sow seeds. We don't necessarily see the outcome, um, the, the, the flowers that are going to grow from the or the fruits from the seed that we sowed. Uh, I can share with you more anecdotally personal experiences that working in Wisconsin for five years, I have met students who chose to do a master's degree in Holocaust studies, or chose to go to law school, or chose actually to become um, managers, directors, leaders in their community, and when you ask them, why did you make this choice? They said, you know, we actually, I remember as an eighth grader, I had a Holocaust survivor who came to my, my class and spoke for 45 minutes. Also, if you think about your or our middle school education, what do we really remember from our middle school education 20 years later? We don't remember, you know, the algebra classes, at least not in my case. You know, the ge- the geometry, English, you know. We remember a little bit of the details, but if we had a guest speaker, a Holocaust survivor, um, I remember Israel Parkman, the math teacher in our school who was a Holocaust survivor. I'm in my early 40s, so I got a chance to interact with survivor who were, survivors who were in their 20s and 30s. Today, most Holocaust survivors who speak to students are uh, child survivors. They survived the war as uh, either teenagers, as we say today, or, or, or as young children. I vividly remember the um, uh, testimonies of Holocaust survivors that um, that I met uh, throughout my life. So Holocaust education provides this powerful uh, moment that I think remains with people. Now, at the same time, so we're awfully successful. Um, uh, You mentioned before, you wanted to ask me how many Holocaust museums or centers are, um, and, and, and I don't know, I would estimate them by the dozens. There is an association of Holocaust uh, organizations, which is an umbrella um, institution for all of these organizations. We're talking about hundreds of Holocaust organizations, centers, museums um, around the world. Um, the, so th- there is recognition today that the topic is important. Almost every community in the United States would like to have its, uh, its Holocaust museum. I-, I heard a story about um, a Holocaust museum in a mall, right next door to, uh, to a nail polish. The person who told me about it said, you know what- Nail maybe? polish? Like a, yes. like a nail- st- a by Pardo, that's right. <laughs> and the person who told me about it said, you know what, maybe that's the uh, Holocaust museum that should have not uh, happened. But I think that, you know, um, in, in a way, in, in a way uh, there cannot be too many of them. They all show recognition. But I also say that we are awfully unsuccessful. Awfully unsuccessful in the sense that one would think that with this plethora of Holocaust educational institutions um, around the country and around the world, um, young people would be knowledgeable about the subject. We would be able to ask college students the, the most basic questions about the Holocaust and they would be able to to answer them. And there's plenty of indicators. I will mention the shown um, survey conducted by the claims conference back in 2018. There is also a video clip that went viral of students at um, uh, Penn State uh, University and University of Pennsylvania and other colleges in Pennsylvania uh, being asked the most basic questions about the the Holocaust, not being able to answer them. Complete ignorance, right? Ignorance, we're talking about 41% of millennials who think that, um, we're talking about two to three million Jews. We're talking about 49% of millennials who would say that, uh, who cannot name a single concentration camp out of the 40,000 constructed by the Nazis and their collaborators. We are struck by the level of ignorance. There is certainly... um, Plenty of indicators that something about Holocaust education is broken insofar as um, the ability to communicate this subject, uh, particularly to young people, is concerned. So you are now
0: starting a a center and how we have it. I hear the, I hear the, that we are building people's characters and morals and that it's hard to measure. We haven't averted subsequent genocides. Um, how are we doing things different now going forward? And if something is broken, how, what, is, what are you doing that's different? I think that
1: what I recognize as broken uh, as the remedy or how to fix what's broken is first of all to acknowledge the fact that we will not be able to uh, fix it within one day and also create this uh, one-stop shop, one-size-fits-all solution um, to the the program. Holocaust education has a variety of approaches. The approach that YU is going to adopt is teaching the Holocaust through very specific lens, particularly for Jewish lens, we see the Holocaust primarily as the Shoah. The Holocaust, just to give you like a quick uh, background, is a Greek term that talks about um, being burned. Yeah, Olah offering. The victimization by the fire. Shoah, by the way, is a biblical term that refers to a natural disaster, like a flood. It wasn't a natural disaster the victimization, there wasn't burnt offering to God. But Shoah is, a, in terms of branding, is a label that is exclusively associated with the suffering of Jews during the Holocaust. Yeah, but what Holocaust,
0: is a, sho- a Shoah, like you said, in biblical terms, is not immoral. Meaning when nature, when a tidal wave comes, it's calamity, but it's not a... Not, the, not man-made. It's not, not made. man-made, and therefore not immoral in the same way. Or maybe at
1: all, but just yes, so how... that. Yeah, it suggests that there's no real term that would capture the magnitude and the depth. I would say, of this experience, the Yiddish term is churban, churban or churban destruction, referring to the destruction of the first and the second temple. Um, but so this is like the 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 third uh, destruction. It also doesn't capture the magnitude because this was not a temple that was destroyed, but ra- rather an, an entire people. Um, I think that uh, our program is going to focus on the Shoah in a much more blatant way in comparison with other Holocaust centers or Holocaust museums. The Shoah and the Holocaust, the relationship with them is complex. First of all, we have to understand that the Holocaust is an experience that means and should mean a lot to humanity, not only to Jews. First of all, when we analyze genocide, we have to remember the term genocide, the destruction of a people was coined during the Holocaust. And second, virtually all... Scholars of genocide would agree that the most extreme genocide that has been experienced uh, in in the modern age, maybe even in history, in human history at large, is the Shoah, is the Holocaust. So, the Holocaust does have some universal components. We as Jews must have um, must be able to recognize these universal components and the fact that for a lot of people around the world, suffering, uh, the dehumanization, brutalities are associated with the Holocaust. And the Holocaust, by the way, broadly defined by, for instance, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, that's not a Jewish institution, that's a federal institution, is defined as the uh, state-sponsored targeting victimization of not only Jews, but also the Roma, jehovah's witnesses people with mental disabilities shoah is a reference to the uh, specifically jewish destruction jewish genocide perpetrated by the nazis you know i I noticed did
0: you see yeah no did you see uh hunters i know this is like a this is a big topic amongst uh i heard of somebody told me it's not so great so i haven't seen it yet mixed reviews not, not, not not the time but it's very clear that they didn't have any consultants, that they didn't bring in consultants. I'm assuming because all the writers were Jewish, so they're like, we, we, we don't need consultants. And there's some things, there, there's so many little things are just like so maddening, like that they walk into a shul in Brooklyn in the 70s and they're using art scrolls that wouldn't be published for another decade. <laughs> um, or that uh, someone's sitting shiva and a woman walks out and on the, she, she walks out, she taps the guy on the shoulder, and says, Baruch Hashem. She's like, Come on, you could hire a consultant. And whenever they refer to a number, the number is eleven million. And I was like, never. Net, Jews in Brooklyn in the seventies, I don't care, if religious or not religious, wouldn't
1: say eleven million, right? Eleven million is a good. It, it's a great point. By the way, I heard that uh, in the movie The Ten Commandments, there's one Israelite that's standing with a, with a Breitling watch. You know, that kind of <laughs> peeps up, right? It, right. <laughs> it pops up. Um, Maybe speaking, that's because I did have consultants. You pointed before about, about art scroll in the 70s. Um, 6 million, 11 million really shows you um, the point I was, I, I was uh, bringing um, home before.
0: About um, universalism versus 11 particularism. Million is not a real
1: number. 11 million is a number conjured up by, um, by Simon Wiesenthal. Simon Wiesenthal wanted to find a way to define the Holocaust or redefine the Holocaust that would ensure that it continues to be appealing for Jews and non-Jews. And that's how we came up with this perfect formula of 6 million Jews and 5 million non-Jews. We do not know the number of people, non-Jews, who were targeted by the Nazis. If you talk about victims of the Third Reich, listen, uh, there were 27 million, Soviet citizens and soldiers combined who died during the war. But if you compound the number, for instance, the Roma, the gypsy, the, the, the more uh, proper term, appropriate term would be the Roma and the Sinti, we think that we're talking about between 250,000 to a million. We don't really know the numbers. Nobody has ever did um, a serious study of um, the the victims of the euthanasia program, uh, Freemasons, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, the the political prisoners, the Soviet prisoners of war. So I think that Wiesenthal came up with five in order to give the Jewish Holocaust, the Shoah, its primacy, six versus five. But the combination of the, the, the number 11 frightens me. So I wanted to say a few words about that because I think that Holocaust education and Holocaust remembrance has a future only if we do manage to keep this balance of the Holocaust's universal aspects that I touched upon before and, and its Jewish aspects. The So what I said before is understandably, people are always going to refer to the Holocaust. It is gonna to touch people all over the world and, um, you know, they may sometimes confuse one group of victims of the Nazis and others, but they would look at Hitler and this grand program of destruction that he came up with. If what is the remain of the Holocaust, if what remains of the Holocaust in terms of memory in 20-30 years is only this vague memory that there was a dictator, a ruthless dictator named Hitler, and he killed people, human beings, 11 million human beings, This would be an incredible, I think, insult and injustice, particularly done to the victims. Uh, When we think about uh, the history of Native Americans in this country, we don't want to study this history just for the sake of studying the, um, I would say, negative effects of colonialism. When we study the history of um, African Americans during African American history, we don't just want to come up with this general le- moral lesson about how bad slavery is, slavery of all sorts, slavery in the Roman Empire or the Mesopotamian Empire. In other words, I think that when you study a very dark and painful saga um, that pertains to the history of a people, you have to study it with respect. You have to study it with, by paying attention to the details and to the experiences of the victims, not only to see, for instance, in the case of the Holocaust, to see the Holocaust as a grand program of brutalization of a people, to study how the SS, the SS is moving from one to a town to another, rounding up people and shooting them, but also to study the experiences uh, through diaries, through, through, through the memoirs of survivors, uh, through materials, sometimes, by the way, hidden during the war, through portraits, reportage, Created by the by the victims. So, YU, for instance, is going to have a center. We are going to be we are Holocaust and genocide study center. I do not uh, think the word genocide is not valid. I think that when you study talking about character education, when you have engage in a deep study of the Holocaust, it makes you already committed to all other genocides that happened later and also to preventing genocide. But In order to do justice to the subject and to the victims, you have to study it, as we say in Latin, as sui generis. In other words, as a genre, as a type in and of itself, without just universalizing it. I came upon an article in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel a couple of years ago. I was so upset. I got to tell you. Um, It was... 70 years ago, you know, today, 70 years ago, today, 73 years ago, a story about a girl, Anne Frank. She's a high school student from Holland, a Dutch high school, um, high school student who was hidden by the, um, who hid, sorry. She was hiding during the war and then uh, she was found, she was discovered and taken to a Nazi camp. No mentioning of the fact that she was Jewish. Also, when we think about Anne Frank, so again, when you talk to me about what's broken in Holocaust education, too much emphasis on the, on the very powerful, compelling story of Anne Frank's um, attempt to survive and murder. Anne Frank was a, a Jew from the West. She was in hiding, hidden by, by, by non-Jews in Amsterdam. The centerpiece of the Holocaust, its epicenter is Poland. In Poland, We had 3.3 million Jews before the war, and 92% of them, about 92% were murdered during World War II, during the Holocaust. Um, Most Jews experiencing the Holocaust are not in hiding. Their fundamental experience for the most part is being taken from the ghetto, being put um, on a train in a a sealed uh, train car, and being deported to, um, to a death camp or an extermination facility in which they would be um, you know, dragged off the train and be killed within a matter of an hour uh, through uh, by poisoning um, um, with, with lethal gas. So again, I think that we have to recognize the fact that the Holocaust has the capacity to change lives and change worlds and hearts, that uh, the Jews in the non-Jewish world humanity at large, is always going to be intrigued by the subject. But this must not, be, must not be done at the expense of understanding that the Holocaust is intrinsically a Jewish experience. The Holocaust, to me, is primarily the Shoah. Um, I think that if we look at the experiences of other victims of the Nazis, they are different. Adolf Hitler, in his first uh, essays, his first letters, In Mein Kampf is not rambling on and on and on and on about how much he hates the Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance. Um, Clearly, the Holocaust ties into the very DNA, the very deep tissues of the Jewish people in terms of our existence in Europe, our existence as a people in that part of the world for 2000 years. Uh, The Holocaust is tightly linked to the story of anti-Semitism. Um, both the medieval and modern anti-Semitism and during antiquity. Uh, And from everything I described to you here, I think you can see that uh, there was um, a a critical need to establish a Holocaust center that would highlight these point of views. That doesn't mean that we are going to make um, all millennials now be able to uh, recognize more than one camp. And if you ask me, uh, the survey shows that they cannot name a single camp. If they could name the word Maidanek, if they could recognize the word Bel- um, Belgets or Sobibor, would that make Holocaust education of different quality? Not necessarily. And our focus is going to be educating teachers, educating future educators. I would for instance love to also work with uh, young people who will be in the future lay leaders of boards of Holocaust centers and Holocaust museum across the United States. Uh, For me, this is a part of a very deep and personal um, battle to shape Holocaust uh, memory for the next uh, couple of decades.
0: So let
1: me ask you a question
0: about what you've been talking about the, the Tension between universalism and particularism around the Holocaust, and also uh, people who are watching should read your article in Tablet, um, where you you play out this uh, your internal struggle actually through your career, um, and how that that's transformed you. I I staffed a March of the Living as a trip rabbi, um, and it was it was a strange experience for me personally. Um, a, it was my first time to Poland, but B, I was there as as the rabbi to other people. So I was there for myself. I was there for other people. C, I'm a grandchild of survivors that D, I never met. They all, they died before I was born. So I I, I grew up with the Holocaust. I, I don't remember when I learned about the Holocaust. There was no moment. It was always there, but I never met the people. And I found the trip in so, in so many ways. It wasn't a from trip. It wasn't an Orthodox trip. The The messaging of the trip I found to be very—I I don't want to say—not not all over the place, but but a lot in conflict. You know, the the martial living trips are—they go now. So you spend Yom HaShoah, uh, you spend in um, uh, Beer and then you spend your months mood in Israel. So maybe the message of Israel is like, we should have gone to Israel. But then you visit, you meet, meet people in Poland who are trying to rebuild life in Poland. So the message is we should stay and we should, you know, strength, strength and winning is staying and rebuilding, not going to Israel. And then on the way to the march, on the way to Auschwitz, um, watching a video um, from a trip called the March of... I think it's called the March of Faith and Remembrance, something like that. They, where they take non-Jews on this march. The mm-hmm. March of the Living is specifically a, um, a Jewish trip, and they take non-Jews on a trip. And everyone goes around and says, "Why am I marching? I'm watching this video as I'm walk- going to the camp where my my own Bobby, f- for the first time, recreating my Bobby's experience when I never met." And these people are going, "I'm marching for you know this marginalized group or this oppressed group or and this this woman this." woman says i'm marching for all the palestinian victims of israeli brutality i'm like this is wild like she's on on a trip being funded by by you know zionist jews i am marching for the palestinian children who are victimized and i i just thought i realized in that moment the holocaust is so big it's so massive that you can kind of stand on top of it and pitch your message and Correct. she if can, she be can walk away from this and say the message be. of the Holocaust is that we have to resist Israeli tyranny. Then certainly, you know, there's all these other messages that are in conflict. And uh, you know, Fackenheim's 614th Commandment ruled the day for American Judaism for so many for so many decades. It was the the go-to phrase. So to sum up, what is how, how are we supposed to walk away from 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 the Shoah? What is the enduring message, or how do we com- deal with with this tension, with these competing messages. Do you have thoughts
1: on this? Yes, I think that the memory of the Shoah, like any memory is both political and politicized. We have to make sure we do our best to understand its usability. And also understand that it may one day, if we're not careful, be used against us, against the Jewish people. Uh, For instance, the example that you just brought up the Holocaust can be used against grandchildren of survivors like you and me, with, for instance, um, BDS, pro-Palestinian um, uh, propaganda, uh, only if, and it can be effective, only if society as large at large, I think, is not informed about its core components. So first of all, the Holocaust is the, in my opinion, the victimization of the Jewish people—it's a program that um, never happened before, never happened after, and unlike all other destructive programs, the what what you what was unique about the Holocaust is was the idea um, devised by Adolf Hitler. It really came up in his mind that the world should be completely cleansed, completely expunged of one group of people, the Jewish people. So the intent of the Holocaust was very different from either genocidal um, activities that happened um, both before um, and after the war. There was Hitler never really intended to kill Jewish engineers, Jewish intellectuals, Jewish communists, for instance. Um, Zionists, that was not the intention. The idea was that everyone, once he reached the definition that you are a Jew, according to Nazi racial science and racial law, you uh, committed the crime of being Jewish, a very severe crime, and you should not exist here anymore. This is why also we see a difference between the way the Nazis target Jews and and non-Jews during the war. Going back again to my comment about the Holocaust and the 11 million as a term that I think can be fairly misleading. Um, you asked me before we talked about Shoah or Holocaust, I'm comfortable using the Holocaust. But as soon as I start to teach the subject, I immediately refer to the Shoah. And I do it with a great deal of respect, for instance, to the Nazi targeting of, of, of the Roma population. Uh, the Roma, by the way, um, do have a term called perem- Paremos that uh, denotes their own Shoah. And I actually think that we as Jews do have an obligation to study the targeting of other people. But the Holocaust cannot be uh, misappropriated. I would, by the way, prefer that the Holocaust, you know, sometimes people feel that when you study history, what's history? It's study pa- studying the past. Um, there is um, a great deal, I think, today of underestimation, disrespect towards the field of history. People want to know what's the practical value of it. Uh, I had actually a lot of people who told me, listen, Shai, don't be a scholar, don't be a historian. You know, you are going to a school then talk to the children about what they need to do with this information tomorrow. And that's a very problematic thing. So I would say it's problematic for somebody to light a candle, um, and maybe we shouldn't even go into it, light a candle at Auschwitz, because of uh, the the, the so-called Israeli brutalities that you mentioned before. Um, But at the same token, when we talk about the Holocaust as a way to understand bullying in the playground, when we talk about the Holocaust as a, a panacea for domestic abuse, Um, when we talk about the Holocaust um, as a way to learn how to do conflict management better. That, to me, is a problem. So here I'm talking to a rabbi, and I think that um, I can, you know, as a part of this dialogue, conjure up the difference between lishma and shelo Torah for its sake and Torah um, not for its sake. Uh, I am, um, um, as a Litvak, I, I am a big advocate in Torah lishma, and I think that Holocaust studies should should also be recognized Lishma. And from Lo Lishma, we can also uh, come to, um, actually f- from the study Lishma, we may be able to understand the ramifications of shelo lishma. And I will explain that first of all, we have to study the history. We have to study the specifics. We have to study the context of the Holocaust, the geographical, the historical one, the pre-war, the, 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 the Weimar years. Uh, Jewish life in, in the ghettos, Jewish life in the camps. We have so many, for instance, we're gonna offer a course at you um, in our program about uh, rabbinic response during the war, which is a fairly, the, the reaction of, of the Orthodox community, which is a fairly neglected uh, um, subject. Um, I think that w- once we give um, enough respect to the subject, we are going to be much better at understanding how how it can be used. And I personally would not recommend to apply it too quickly for any uh, practical purposes. That to me is not a way to give proper respect to the subject. If I can make another comment about the trips that you mentioned, they tend to be all over the place, but they are also very powerful and highly recommended. I have worked, uh, I've led a number of student trips to Eastern Europe, to places of the Holocaust. I think that it's a a mistake on the part of a leader to expect students to uh, walk through uh, the grounds, walk the grounds of Auschwitz and get out of the gate. You know, normally like when you get to Birkenau, right outside Birkenau, there is actually a coffee shop. I was actually pretty stunned. There's umbrellas with a Pepsi uh, logo on the umbrellas. And people are actually buying drinks and buying souvenirs. Uh, don't expect people to come out of a uh, beer canal and tell you this um, one hour tour there changed my life. All too often, it starts to sink in and to dawn on the participants, sometimes weeks after the trip, sometimes years after the trip. But um, I led a trip uh, four years ago and two years ago, and in communications with the students, still, I see how impactful that experience was in, in making them, uh, m- having them make, um, life-changing decisions, um, long term.
0: It's uh, Yom HaShoah today. What's people are, are watching now. What's one thing that people should do or take away or commit to or, or spend time on today.
1: I would recommend to try to think about the Shoah as one individual Jew multiplied by six million. For me, maybe it was easy to do it because I grew up with survivors. You mentioned your deceased, um, the Holocaust survivor grandparents that you didn't know. I was fortunate to know mine very well. My grandmother died at the age of 95 uh, just a few months ago. I, uh, I I think that uh, we have plenty of um, uh, resources uh, to listen to testimonies of survivors. Yeshiva University, by the way, has a fascinating project called NNN, Names Not Numbers, that uh, um, interviews a Holocaust survivor, survivors as an experiential learning project for high school students. Uh, you're welcome to uh, take a look at that project or go to eyewitness or on YouTube, I would say, do yourself a favor and listen to a testimony of one Holocaust survivor um, during the 24-hour uh, duration um, of Yom HaShoah.
0: Dr. Pelnek, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for sharing. My friend, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Shai. And thank you to you for joining this incredibly important conversation. I'd like to, again, encourage you to join us tomorrow, 1150 AM, 10 minutes before noon, together.ou.org, Rabbi Yisrael Mayor Lau speaking about being a bearing witness to history. And remember our obligation, not just to those who perished, but to those who survived, we remain here we are here for a purpose, and we have an obligation to that purpose. Stay healthy.